RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Mint Mobile. Cut your wireless bill to as little as 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 331, Explorers. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for ideas and ideals, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, Explorers, the one where Bashir's chief rival in medical school turns up on DS9, and the Cisco's build a ship and set a course for... Love. Cardassia. Ah, I was going to say Love. You did. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, got a bit of trivia. I'm guessing we got a bit of trivia for this episode because you know what I noticed about this episode? Different though they all are, uh, there's yeah. a similarity that runs all the way through. You find stuff that's not on screen to talk about about the stuff that's on screen. They all have things that happened off screen. You're wow, so right. That's so yeah. crazy. Every one of them without fail. I'll bet if you looked into it, almost every TV show actually starts off screen first. Oh, I don't know. That's yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll save that for another podcast. Trivia for today's episode, Explorers. Well, the story is by Hillary J. Bader, and you probably remember that we've talked about Hillary a few times before. She had an outstanding career writing mostly for TV animation, but she had a number of Star Trek credits too. Going back to TNG, she wrote the story for The Loss and Hero Worship. And she also continued uh, to write stories for DS9 uh, with Battle Lines and more to come. And you may also remember that we lost Hillary far too young from cancer. Now, here's an interesting bit of trivia about her original pitch. Uh, This story about building the sailing starship was originally a Miles O'Brien story. That makes sense. Yep. Exactly. You would think it would be him. But then it kind of went through the machinery of the writer's room and turned into a Cisco story. So the teleplay of the script that we get is by Rene Echeverria. No introduction needed there. Rene is, of course, an entrenched producer writer on DS9 by this point. And this episode was directed by Cliff Bull. Likewise, Cliff is a journeyman contributor to Trek. Uh, Heck, he's even the namesake of our favorite barbers, the Bolians. He directed 25 episodes of TNG across its seven seasons. Most recently for DS9, we covered Defiant 
which he directed. Hey, uh, for that drunk singing moment, uh, man, they wanted to use Rocket Man. Uh, they considered Louie Louie, but they couldn't get the rights. So Colomini and Alexander Siddig chose Jerusalem. So we're going to a 19th century hymn. Don't need to worry about copyright there. Ken, what do you know about Thor Heyerdahl? Uh, it's a mashup of Thor and Heimdall from the Marvel movies, which which I hear actually yeah. are based on older novels. Really? <laughs> well, you were... That's a rumor. You were so close. You were so close. So, Thor Heyerdahl, uh, he was a Norwegian explorer, and he was the, the man behind the Kontiki expedition in 1947. Lasted from April to August of 1947. And he wanted to prove that indigenous people from South America could have made it across the Pacific. And he did so by creating a, a, a sailing vessel, more of like a raft with a little hut on it, uh, very Gilligan's Island looking, uh, that he sailed with a, a small crew from Peru to Tahiti. And uh, not only was it a best-selling book at the time, uh, originally in Norwegian, like 1948, I think the first English language version a couple of years later, then a documentary film about Thor. Um, I actually first heard about him because of, believe it or not, tiki culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, you know, you and I enjoy a tiki drink every now and then. And a big part of the influence is sort of uh, sailing to Exotica and leaving the modern world behind and maybe having a nice cocktail when you get there. Well, Thor Heyerdahl became part of the, the legend of tiki culture as well. And of course, his ship was named Kontiki. Now, so can I ask a hmm. question? Why are you bringing this up today? Well, because the story here in Explorers is based directly on that idea. You take uh, a guy with an inspiration to build a ship using ancient technology just to prove a point, just to say that you could possibly get from point A to point B, even though it seems impossible. That was the inspiration for building this sailing ship in DS9. Oh, so there you go. So think about Thor the next time you have a uh, a cool tiki drink, and then that will probably also make you think of this episode of DS9. So I'm just messing up all your pop culture references right there in one shot. Now, the sailing ship used in this episode is itself a CG model, but the set was quite intricate and actually a favorite of the production crew who uh, wanted to give it a nice vintage feel inspired by Jules Verne. And uh, Ira even actually said, hey, can we please save this set because it's just so neat. We don't want to see it trashed at the end of the episode actually don't know if they did so it'd be interesting to find out if they indeed kept it uh, because look space is at a premium and a studio can't keep everything that you want now let's talk about guest stars of course we have mark alimo back as gul Dukat. and in this episode we meet dr elizabeth lenz played by barry hawkwald now, in addition to the TV guest appearances that she's done since the 90s barry is active as a theater director and writer we won't see more of her on DS9, but Barry will return for both Voyager and Enterprise in two different roles. And in this episode, we introduce Chase Masterson as Dabo Girl Lita. 
Now, we mentioned before that Chase had been considered for the role of Marta, Jake's girlfriend, but it was felt that Chase looked too mature next to a 16-year-old Jake. The producers liked her, though, and decided to bring her back for a small role at the top of this episode, and it looks like they continue to like her because Chase will be back as Lita several more times through the remainder of the run of DS9. Prior to DS9, it's fun to point out that the first professional role she was cast into was as a giggling court lady in Mel Brooks's Robin Hood, Men in Tights. And many, many TV guests, voiceover, and feature roles have followed. And of course, Chase founded the Pop Culture Hero Coalition to help end childhood bullying. Hey, uh, we got the recap coming up in just a moment. But before that, we do have a word from uh, one of the sponsors for this week's show, ExpressVPN, giving you back your internet privacy. Look at you sitting there in that coffee shop or that hotel, maybe using that super convenient Wi-Fi about which you know absolutely nothing. I mean, you know, it gets you online. You know, it's not costing you much. But um, do you have any idea how secure it is or really how insecure it is? See, the problem with public Wi-Fi, you're sending your data over an open network, which means no encryption whatsoever. The best way to ensure that all of your data is encrypted and can be read by hackers is by using a good VPN like ExpressVPN. I've been using it for a while now, and I'm a big fan of how it keeps my data protected and the speed with which it does that. VPNs I've used in the past have sort of sacrificed speed for security. ExpressVPN does not. I've streamed movies, uploaded shows, and run flawless audio and video calls while using ExpressVPN. I've never had another virtual private network that was able to tackle such tasks as well. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than 7 bucks a month. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Whether I'm headed to a coffee shop like you or another state, ExpressVPN protects my connections when I travel and at speeds that impress me every time. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash mission log for three months free with a one year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. And a big thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. They're on their boat. They're on their boat. Take a good hard look at their solar wooden boat. Prologue. Julian is talking with a fetching Dabo girl, Lida, when Jadzia interrupts to talk about nobody cares. Secretly, Bashir tells Dax to go away in exactly those words. Jadzia does, though not before hitting Julian with some unexpected news. The Lexington is coming to DS9 in a few weeks, complete with its chief medical officer, Elizabeth Lenz. She beat out Julian for valedictorian when they were both at Starfleet Medical, and Julian is really excited to have her coming aboard. Yay! In the Cisco quarters, Benjamin is back from Bajor, where he's been studying some of the oldest manuscripts on the planet. He even found the plans for a solar ship, believed to have taken Bajorans all the way to Cardassian space some 800 years ago. When humans were learning to sail the seas on Earth, Bajorans were already sailing the stars. At least that's the legend. Is it plausible? 
Commander Sisko intends to find out by following the schematics and building the ship. Act 1. Sisko's not kidding. He'll use the tools Bajorans used, a saber saw, for example, to cut real Bajoran lumber, which will be arriving later. O'Brien tells Sisko that he's looked over the plans and he doesn't think the ship is spaceworthy. And he really doesn't think it could have gotten from Bajor to Cardassia. The journey would be too rough, and besides, they wouldn't have enough air. Major Kira says O'Brien sounds just like a Cardassian. For years, they've denied the possibility of Bajorans landing on Cardassia, completely unwilling to acknowledge the possibility that Bajorans were ever more advanced than they. Sisko pipes them both down. He's not planning to spend years sailing to Cardassia. He just wants to build one of the ships to prove it can sail. Uh, fly. Yeah, you get the idea. This calls for a montage. A slow, semi-soothing montage of Cisco building the Solar Sailor. On a break, Ben asks Jake if he wants to come along. To prove that Bajorans could have made the trip would only require getting to the Denorius Belt, which should only take a few days. They can leave in a week, and... Yeah, it's not going to work for Jake. Leanne's coming to DS9, and Jake would like to see her. Bad timing. Back at work on the ship, Jadzia stops by. She's amazed by the work Sisko's done. She hasn't seen him like this since he was working on Jake's nursery. Sisko's bummed that his son won't be joining him, though Jadzia assures him that he and Jake will have other adventures. Back in their quarters, Jake's gotten a message from Wellington, New Zealand. At first, it makes him happy. Then he seems kind of wistful. Whatever it is, it's shaken something in the young man. He's had a change of heart. If Ben will still have him, he would love to set sail with his dad. Act 2. Julian's still freaking out about the imminent arrival of Dr. Lenz, which confuses Jadzia a bit. Did he want the Lexington instead of Lenz? Julian says no. This is the post he wanted. But Lenz could have had this post if she'd wanted. Could have had whatever she wanted. And that'll always make Julian feel second best. Meanwhile, Commander Sisko is entertaining a call from Gul Dukat. This trip he's planning, aboard the replica of the Bajoran solar ship? Kind of dangerous. Kind of foolish. Dukat suggests he not try it. Sisko thinks that sounds like a threat. Though Dukat says no, just concern. Since he can't talk Sisko out of the trip, he'll wish him luck instead and hopes he won't need it. Then with that, Ben and Jake are off. Solar sails deployed, headed that away. Act 3. Sailing against no elements leaves a lot of time for talk. Ben tells Jake that he's glad he's there. And that's enough talking. See, Jake has a story that he's written, and he would love for his father to give it a look. So they make a deal. Jake will man the rigging, and Ben will start reading. Back on Deep Space Nine, the Lexington docked earlier than expected, and Julian, well, he's cool. I mean, he's not, but he's trying to be. Lens is in Quark's, and everybody's needling Bashir about talking to her. Odo, Quark, O'Brien, even Morn's getting in on the fun. As she's leaving, Bashir approaches Lens, who breezes past as if he wasn't even there. Right in front of O'Brien. Awkward. Back on the Solar Sailor, Ben's done reading, and he likes the story. 
it shows promise. Promise? Yikes. No, Ben really is impressed. Sure, there are parts where Jake's writing about things he's never experienced, but he thinks Jake should keep writing. And that's when Jake tells Ben about the message he got from New Zealand. The Pennington School has offered him a writing fellowship. He starts to tell Ben how he got selected, but hold that thought, the ship is experiencing some sort of trouble. Act 4. A mass support has given way, and they're going to have to jettison it. They'll have to change their tack, but they'll be able to continue. Back on DS9, Julian and O'Brien are drowning the doctor's sorrows. Real whiskey. This is not a Sindale kind of night. Julian's pretty erect over Len's snub. O'Brien thinks she ignored Bashir because she's in love with him. Either that or she hates him. Bashir thinks it could be something in between, though O'Brien says Julian's not an in-between kind of guy. People either love him or they hate him. I mean, look at O'Brien. He used to hate Julian. And now, now, he doesn't. Julian says that means a lot, and O'Brien assures him, it's from the heart. He really does not hate him anymore. Also, he has an idea. If Julian wants to know why Lenz ignored him, he should confront her. Just ask her why she ignored him. You know, tomorrow, when you're not three sheets to the wind. Speaking of sheets and wind, Ben and Jake are still sailing the solar winds and talking over Jake's plan, which is to skip the Pennington Fellowship, or defer it anyway. He can do that for a year, and things might be different in a year. Jake doesn't want Ben to be alone. But maybe Ben will like the woman Jake wants to set him up. Whoa, hold that thought. Something's torn another sail from the ship, inexplicably driving them forward faster, though seemingly with no control. Act 5. Somehow they end up at warp speed, probably caught in a tachyon eddy. Unfortunately, the thing they were using to navigate got busted when the sail ripped away. Unable to figure out where they are or where they're going, they'll have to radio DS9 to come pick them up. But there's no response to their hail. Could they really be that far away? Back on Deep Space Nine, Bashir is finally ready to make his move, to talk to Lens about why she's ignoring him. Embarrassing. She thought he was somebody else, or really that somebody else was him. At a party once, somebody pointed Julian out to her, but he must have been with or near an Andorian, since that's what Lenz thought Bashir was. She confesses to Bashir that sometimes she wishes she'd taken the assignment on DS9 instead of the Lexington. She'll go months not even finding a life form, let alone treating people. The work Bashir's been able to do on and around Bajor? That's fascinating. They head to the infirmary to continue their professional talk. Back with the Cisco's, Ben's curious about this woman Jake wants to set him up with. She's a freighter captain, and Jake knows that his dad will like her. Ben agrees to meet her on one condition. Jake's Pennington decision can't be based on how things go with the setup. Jake says it's a deal, though he's already decided he'll wait at least a year. He figures another year on DS9 will yield more experience he can put into his writing. Glancing out the window, Hey, look at those three Cardassian ships. Hailing the Cisco's, it's Gul Dukat. 
he would like to congratulate them on having made the journey. Without realizing it, Ben and Jake have sailed into the Cardassian system. It's especially appropriate since Cardassia just found centuries-old wreckage that proves that ancient Bajorans made the same trip. Can you believe it? They just found it. Crazy, right? Can you believe it? The Cardassians set off space fireworks to celebrate the occasions. The end. Space fireworks. Space fireworks, yes. They're better than regular fireworks. They're much better than regular fireworks. They need no air. Yeah, right. Right? They they need (laughs) no air to ignite. It's uh, Mm -hmm. they're pretty incredible that way. So cool. I love that you pointed out that we're going to need a montage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, a super fast montage. What I wanted was to see, like, he starts on it, and then you, you go forward, and, like, Ben's hair is gray, and Jake is about 30. Yeah. And he's like, Dad, you've been working on this thing in your garage for 15 years. You know, the, no. the one thing that I was missing from that montage was the, the clenched fist and the, and the biting the bottom lip, you know, having, mm. you know, accomplished something. Then again, he was by himself. You, you really need somebody else around, it, you know, to give that. Mm, you know, kind yeah, of look. That's true. That every montage features, or almost every montage features. So true. And nothing really heroic at the end. You needed like a backlit thing with him in silhouette, like like finishing the last thing, you know, putting the last nail in there or whatever. But, you know, whatever. It's it, We still got a montage out of it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Hey, so uh, what, what's Lita's game here? It's interesting. At the beginning, you know, she's doing the whole fake cough bit mm-hmm. uh d- does she just think that Bashir is cute or is he an easy mark for Dabo or or she's heard that he leaves big tips I I, I think she thinks he's cute okay yeah fair I think, enough. I think yeah. that's what that's about I don't know I see when you said what's Lita's game I was gonna say Dabo but yeah <laughs> yes I understand yes. now you meant like what's her what's her other game what's her sub game in a way yeah and then yeah. suddenly he's all, oh, Dr. Lenz. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, like, dude, dude uh, right there. Yeah. Great use, by the way, of the pad between Julian and Jadia. And also yes. Jake's using it to write. But, I mean, it was funny when he hands her the mm-hmm. pad and it says, go away. We almost never get to see the screen of a pad. Yeah. And, and I feel like, um, actually, what they did in this episode really captured where the tech was headed in ways that pads would, you know, eventually be used. And I'm not, mm-hmm. there's no joke here. It's like so often there's like some weird thing like that thing with the neon tubes and Star Trek. And it's like, well, they just made something that like lights up and flashes. And like, wh- yeah. what did we talk about? Like, um, I think, was it O'Brien wanted to read something? So he had a stack of like 12 pads because he like didn't <laughs> know which books he wanted to read or somebody yeah. did. Then you're like, you know, you could have more than one book on there. Uh, yes. Today actually felt like, or, or this episode actually felt like, um, like, you know, this is going to be able to do more than one thing. Yeah. yeah so it was, it was, uh, was kind of neat to see. Maybe someday, John, maybe someday we'll have something like that. <laughs> One day. Well, the, the close-ups on the pads made me think of a few things. So, first of all, just from a technology standpoint of the production, well, you don't want to have glare on screen, and you also have to do camera sync so you can have video while you're shooting. You're really not going to do that on a hand prop. So, they're all printed. Right. You know, the, the stuff. And it looks good because you would just assume, well, okay, in the future, even if you have a tiny handheld screen – it's got to look good. It's got to not be full of glare. It's got to not have any kind of video role. So printing it out is as good a solution as anything. Yeah. So I love that. Um, I, I love that we saw some different pads where you have the normal one that Bashir has gotten. They see the bigger ones for doing the schematics and stuff. But what I really loved is that they didn't know that they were predicting a very real thing, though. 
how many times have you been in a situation like uh, uh, maybe an uncomfortable social situation or whatever, and you need to get a message to somebody who's just like at the other, other end of the table? Right. And and needs to not be within earshot of, say, the people in between you and that other person. So what do you do? You get out your phone, you send a text like, uh, please fake that uh, your mouth is on fire and we need to leave. You know, something like that. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. It, it happens. So they, I thought, made a very realistic use yeah. of how we use our screen technology. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's probably the best use of a pad we've seen so far as far yeah. as how it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, I mean, it's worth pointing out, Ben Cisco has a beard, and beards are a big deal in Star Trek. It's either Riker beard or Spock beard. That's it. As soon as he came on, I'm like, well, obviously, uh, we're dealing with Mirror Cisco now, and then right. I remember that Mirror Cisco is dead. So, yeah. you know, no, it's just Cisco uh, trying something new as he exactly. tells his son. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I love the whole idea of the solar sail ship um but not for me personally uh, i would never want to be on one i do not want to be on any sort of flying machine that you have to crank hmm. I, yeah in space in the air anywhere <laughs> like if you were on an airplane and they were like uh, okay everybody we just need you to uh, reach under your seat and like crank the thing to make us stay up just just like, pull the cord yeah <laughs> just pull yeah. the cord really hard yeah uh, yeah no harder put your foot on it pull exactly. it harder then then we'll we'll be able to stay in the air yeah seat yeah. 13a seriously pull it hard right? yeah it's like calling <laughs> you out like from the front of the plane and then yeah. that dude's just like sitting there like texting yeah you gotta have your phone off first of all and second dude do you want us to <clears throat> not get there fast enough yeah <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> So, yeah, I get the idea of the solar sail um, yeah. in a very basic, very rudimentary way. I get that idea. Okay. Um, the, the thing I don't get is how did the Bajorans get it off Bajor, right? Because yeah. here's the thing. I, I, I don't think once you're in space, I'm not going to, I don't know a lot, obviously, <laughs> but I mean, once you're in space, mm-hmm. uh, getting moving is not the most difficult thing. I don't think moving in the no. right direction, being able to stop, I think is, is probably a much more difficult thing than being able to start in space. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but I'm giving the, given to understand that, that the real problem with space travel is getting off planet. Yes. Because, because if that was easy, I think we'd all be doing it by now. Yes. That, that is a very expensive proposition and, a, and an energy using proposition is to yeah. get from the ground into space. Let, let, let's put a pin in that. Let, let's come back to that because I've got some information about solar sails that, that we can get <laughs> right. into in, in the next segment. Um, right. So then, but, so then let me let me let me hit something else. And this is a bit uh, less physical, more metaphysical, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so so they're on the ship, right? They're on the solar yeah. ship and they're sailing. Right. And and Jake starts to tell his dad, you know, how it is that he got, you know, noted for the Pennington. Mm-hmm. And the way he got noted for the Pennington was he gave the uh, he gave the story to Mrs. O'Brien and then all hell breaks loose on that ship. <laughs> you you just mentioned Keiko. You just mentioned Keiko on Deep Space Nine and stuff starts falling apart. Bad time. I know, and I really think it's unfair, and I don't think they should have treated her that way, because I'm pretty sure it was them and not us. Yeah, I think you're right. 
Yeah. Hey, look, we still haven't resolved the whole bathroom thing on the uh, solar ship. Oh, here's yeah, the, the whole thing was designed for zero G, even though there is clearly a floor and doorways and a, right. and a front and a back. But it's designed yeah. to be it's not like Skylab where they or, or the ISS where you put those up and it's just like everything is all around you because it's zero G all the time. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but Ben decides, like, well, I, I'm going to use all this old technology except for this one thing. I really like my grass. Gravity. Yeah. So I'm going to put down gravity netting in the floor, but we're going to keep the vintage zero G bathroom. And I'm picturing it's like on a wall upside yeah. down. It was like, well, we, we want to do it like the Majorans did it. You know? Yeah. The thing that I was thinking is like uh, uh, Jake's like, well, how do I how then? And, and uh, Ben says, yeah, you'll think you'll, you'll get the hang of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So you'll figure yes. it out. So you'll get the hang of it. And I just want Jake to come out later and be like, yeah. So I just peed everywhere <laughs> <laughs> because I seriously have no idea. Do you understand the problem I'm having? now? Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And there's gravity. It's everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Quark has this line about Morn. Uh, it says Morn gave me three to one odds. Uh, so did, uh, we're referring to the uh, Bashir and Dr. Lenz uh, interaction. Mm -hmm. So did Morn did Morn say that or or are we back to texting? Oh, interesting. I if, yeah. I wonder if Morn texted that. I like that idea. Could have. Could have. Um, I, I love the drunk scene. Bashir says, you know what we should do? We should go to Quark's and sing for everybody. I, yeah. I know this logic. I know this logic. I like that. Um, so th this is it's funny that it's a running gag about Bashir not being the top of his class for missing one question. And he did the one bit where he talked about how that he decided to do that. That, that, that was an actual thing. He did not want to be the top of his class. But the thing that kind of makes me laugh about it, it it's like as if going to medical school for years all just comes down to a single question <laughs> worth two points on a multiple choice quiz. Right. It's like I, I've been in school before. And as far as I remember, as far as I remember, like getting to the end of my senior year in either high school or college, um, it, it's like, OK, well, uh, maybe I got a 91 in science and somebody else got an, a yearly average of like a 94 in yeah. science. But then you also have to compare that to every other course that you're in. And that's how you determine who the valedictorian, salutatorian, where you fall in your class ranking. But this is like just like every day they're exactly the same. But but one question like on flashcards is like, yeah. what is that? Pre-gangliana? Uh, no. Oh, sorry. You're not the valedictorian now. Wow. Yeah, you, you you know all that bunk about uh, everything going into your permanent record. Turns out it's not bunk. No, <laughs> I don't know. That's it. Yeah, because yeah. well, you got this one thing wrong, and that's uh, well, sadly that had to go in your permanent record. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's too yeah. bad. Like I could have been valedictorian except for the time I misspelled my name in third grade. Yeah, yeah. See, exactly. I still that was like it. to think about it. It's just that was the one time so difficult. And then people like still today, people are like, "Oh man, you could have been something." Except for that one time you misspelled your name in third grade mm -hmm. or whatever. <laughs> now, Dukat says at the end that they found an ancient crash site. So the Bajorans made it to Cardassia, but we we don't talk about what happened after that. And they were eaten by proto-Cardassians. <laughs> okay. I don't know so, what uh, happened. Sweater. Yeah, they've yeah. been sitting on that for a while. Yeah, put a pin in this. This is like the thing that you were saying earlier about the solar yeah. sailor. Put a pin in this because we'll, we'll, okay. definitely, we'll definitely come back to this. Okay, good. Um, and, and finally, we talked about space fireworks 
do, do Cardassians like do they just have that available and ready because they do it on the regular anyway? Is it like Disneyland where every night, 20 minutes before the park closed, they're setting off fireworks? So it's like, well, it's as good a time as any. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe there are some, like, you know, low-level Cardassians going, well, now I understand why we had them the whole time. (laughs) You never know. You just never know when you're going to have to put on a fireworks display. Exactly. Um, And uh, I don't really know any better way to say this, Bart, so let me just say stop. Hammock time. In space, no one can hear you scream over the fireworks. We'll get back to Explorers in a moment, but first, a word from Mint Mobile. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're probably being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay. This is where Mint Mobile comes in. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything's online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you. Now, we've each been trying it out uh, for the last few months, actually, and it has been impressive. Uh, Surfing the web, streaming music, yes, video, all of it works exactly the way that you would expect for a lot less money, though, per month. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill to as little as 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. And with Mint Mobile, you're only paying for the amount of data you need. Choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Keep your phone, keep your number, and keep more of your money. So to get your new wireless plan starting at 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash mission log. That's mintmobile.com slash mission log. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash mission log. I have to say, I have a hard time believing that the Cardassians would admit that the Bajorans did make it to Cardassia. You asked uh, last segment about the whole, um, you know, do they just have fireworks displays all the time and all that stuff? <laughs> yeah. It's weird because in, I think it was Act 2 or Act 3, when Gul Dukat calls and says, listen, you don't want to go on this trip. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and, and, and Cisco says, yeah, gee, it sounded like you were threatening me. And Gul Dukat said, no, 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 just, you know, concern. Mm-hmm. Are we supposed to believe in the end that it actually was just concern? Because really? Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it was a little strange because here's the thing. The Cardassians could justify the outcome any way they want. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't need to reveal that there is a crash site of an ancient sailing ship there anyway. Mm-hmm. Even if uh, uh, Cisco makes it, they could just uh, they could come up with something to say like, oh, yeah, well, you were using this type of wood or this type of metal or this thing. That's yeah. actually what got you here. Oh, and by the way, we knew about the belt and we're the ones who got you through because we <laughs> shot some tachyons at it. I mean, it, really, they, they could have come up with anything to downplay his success. Yeah, well, they could have also just destroyed them. 
They could have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because like when, when they're like, you know, looking inward in the ship and then something comes off the ship on the outside. Right. Yeah. And then they're looking inward later and something comes off the ship on the outside again. And I think um, I think uh, Cisco actually says uh, whatever hit us X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really thought that they were that they were you know, that pot shots were being taken at them by the Cardassians. See, I see the sure. Cardassians more as Dr. Zayas types. Right. Okay. Like Dr. Zayas, well, Dr. Zayas uh, from Planet of the Apes, spoiler, these movies are 50 <laughs> years old, um, uh, 50 something. Dr. Zayas knew that uh, ape culture had descended from human culture. Apes had right. not descended from humans, but ape culture had descended from human culture. And he knew this because um, a doll that talks, right? <laughs> they had found actually digs that showed that humans had lived and had lived, honestly, a more advanced life than apes had at that point. And Dr. Zayas does not welcome Taylor with open arms. He actually uh, has the cave that proves that humans predated uh, uh, um, uh, ape culture uh, blown up. Has it literally blown up or right in front of them all? And like, you know, he's like, we're, we're just going to, this, this truth, we're going to hide this truth. We're going to bury this truth. We're going to, you know, yeah, just wipe it all out. And just, I mean, it's, 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 I'm glad it ends well for Ben and Jake, obviously. Yeah. It was also just a weird thing to see from, uh, from the Cardassians. It, well, it is. And, and, you know, there aren't a lot of Bajorans hanging out on Cardassia. There's not a lot of people from Starfleet hanging out on Cardassia. Right. So well, had this been that we know about that we know about. Right. Yeah. Or, or that they know about well, no, they, um, because they they keep acknowledging that there are more more prisoners. Right. Like I said, oh, you mean those those right. prisoners? Oh, we didn't know about them. We We're just not, oh, we thought you meant. The, these other right we're yeah. not keeping bajoran prisoners we're keeping bajorans in prison it's a yeah, different thing exactly they're just they're here right. and, you know, <laughs> um but no had it been you know joe and jane bajor flying this thing uh one shot and they just kind of been you know completely obliterated and nobody yeah. would have cared and then you keep the whole secret about the the crash site anyway so yeah it, it is a little strange i mean is it such a big deal to the cardassians that an 800 year old ship would be found there well it, it doesn't make the cardassians any less powerful than they are now it doesn't make the bajorans any weaker than they are now um but th there are some bragging rights to be taken from it. And again, it, it's it's a Federation guy doing it. Mm -hmm. It's not a Bajoran doing it well, in this a, case. It's a Federation guy in a Bajoran ship, though. Yeah. I mean, in a but, Bajoran but it's still a, Yeah. But but it's a it's the Federation's Thor Heyerdahl, not a Bajoran Thor Heyerdahl doing this. So, all right. yeah, you could say, all right, the technology is there and, and you did it. But so what? Yeah, I just still keep the crash site secret. See, what's weird to me is I feel like this is the kind of thing that could actually up upend Cardassian uh, society. Really? Well, I mean, yeah. if they've been doing this whole we're you know we're the ones. I mean, go back to the conversation that Kira and uh, O'Brien were having at the beginning, right? Where uh, mm -hmm. Kira says, "You sound just like a Cardassian." They refuse to believe that you know we could ever have been as advanced as they are, or more sure. advanced than they were. That's that's kind of Cardassia in spades. It seems to me that's that's what they're like. And so for them to suddenly turn around and go, oh, yeah, it turns out everything that we've been telling all of ourselves and each other for the past 800 years or 700 or 600 or however many. Yeah, that turns out to have all been untrue. But it's fine because because now we're acknowledging that it was untrue. 
Which I mean, you saw yeah. you saw Tribunal. Sure, that's yeah. that's that's not Cardassian in, in the least. I think I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but I mean, look at a certain point, the Cardassians get to say, "Yeah, but we got the bigger guns, and we, got, you know, they they have an excess of power at this point." Mm-hmm. So, a a ship that does not have power, that does not have weapons, does not have all the cool things that Cardassians like, made it there, and they've been able to keep it quiet for eight hundred years. They could have still kept it quiet. So why didn't they? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the part that I'm. Because they're just sitting about. on those fireworks, man. They're just sitting on those fireworks. I, I guess yeah, so that is true. Got to use these one day. Yeah, we haven't. They're about to go bad. <laughs> yeah, they're they're honestly going to blow up in the hold if we don't go ahead and send them out into space. We might as well yeah. do that. Let's talk about the ship a little bit. So, uh, a ship that sails from the pressure of photons is a real thing. Yes. And and you can go to the website uh, for the Planetary Society, just planetary.org, and you can read about them, and you can see a video hosted by Bill Nye, and he'll tell you all about it, how it works, and he's in, he, he's got props like a fire extinguisher, so that'll be fun. Uh, but basically what you need is a very large and very thin reflective surface, and you're using it against the motion of photons, which have no mass, so they push the ship along and uh, Carl Sagan championed the idea in the 70s then in 2005 there was an attempt at deploying Cosmos 1 which was lost in a rocket failure Uh, we'll come back to that because that is part of the question you had earlier Ken Mm -hmm. Uh, then we launched uh, light sail 1 in 2015 just had a quick test flight and now light sail 2 launched in July of 2019 and it has been successfully orbiting earth with an 11 pound payload and they've even been able to adjust the orbit by changing the angle of the sail and and pick up more light so very very cool stuff I mean part of the problem is to have a ship the size of that would carry a couple of people and their supplies and all that. You have to have enormously large sails, like way, way bigger than we actually see in the show. Uh, Cause you have to have a huge surface area to carry along even uh, a, a tiny little payload. So I think they were saying that light sail two with those sails out, it's about the size of a boxing ring, hmm. but you're talking about a little 11 pound payload that looks like, Oh, you know, a little bigger than a bread box. Mm-hmm. If anybody knows what a bread box looks like. So, yeah. Um, but your question was a very good one. Uh, how do you get the solar sailing ship into orbit? Mm-hmm. How do the Bajorans do that? Because you have to get it off the surface, through the atmosphere, into space. Uh, Cisco had the luxury of building his in space on a space station. Right. And then presumably somebody just gives him a good shove uh, when he's ready to go. And and his ship is made partially of wood. Yeah. So uh, there's all kinds of, of questions there about how do you do that on a surface with gravity and then get it out into space? And then what do you do when you've got it into space? How do you land it? Because it sounds like the Bajorans who got to Cardassia had not thought about that part. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Their ship's made of wood. I don't even think you find anything. Yeah. I mean, because metal stuff burns up on reentry for crying out loud. I'm sure. sure wood. Sure, right. That's just going to, That's. I mean, that's that will also burn up on reentry, I would think. Yeah. So that that's unfortunate. 
Um, but but I mean, if you take it to kind of the, the logical extreme of the argument, the Bajorans are building, you know, chemical rockets or something in order to launch a payload into space. Right. And once you get it up there, you've got this little ship inside that really does nothing except, you know, unfurl its sails and then go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Maybe. Ah, OK. OK. All right. Space elevator. Oh, okay. So they had mastered the space elevator before anything else. Giant space tree. Well, it's not a space tree. It's a Bajoran tree, but it grows yeah. all the way up into space. And yeah, then they climbed all the climbing. way up and they're like, you know, if we had like a, if we had a thing, we could probably go that way a long way. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, it may, I mean, it, obviously this could undo the entire episode so let's not let it this is like this is like the time travel thing from uh austin powers yeah sure don't think about it yeah that's it's just it. a movie man right it's just yeah or the thing yeah. from a couple of weeks ago when uh, when o'brien was talking to o'brien and he was like oh i hate temporal mechanics okay same thing don't don't worry about how they got her off yeah. the planet i mean i know i did earlier but i was that was the jokey funny part of the show yeah, but then I took it seriously. Because now right? you're taking yeah, it seriously, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're hosed. Yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's change topics to our B-plot. Okay. Um, because we got the whole uh, Bashir-O'Brien uh, conversation about Bashir's uh, being very much in his head about uh, Dr. Lenz and mm-hmm. how that conversation could go, should go, what's wrong there. Um, and they have this great drunken moment together where uh, O'Brien says, I think she's in love with you. It's the only explanation or she hates you. <laughs> and then he says, uh, Bashir says, or it's something in between to which O'Brien says, you're not an in-between kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, very entertaining. Very There's sort of a, there actually is a reality to their conversation, to their, their drunken thing. And I'll, I'll just skip ahead to, my uh, my sort of closing uh, my segment four bit about this, which is to say that playing drunk is very difficult, mm-hmm. but they actually do a really good job here because it is the kind of conversation that you have when you're drunk. Yeah, Colmini uh, uh, sold it a little bit more than uh, than um, Siddig, I think, and I don't know why. I think I think yeah. I think because uh, Alexander Siddig was a little bit over the top with it, mm-hmm. and Colmini was just like just he 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 nailed that sort of. That sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we can talk about performances and stuff in the next. Yeah, segment. yeah, yeah. But, but let's talk about the kind of the, the content of their conversation and, and, and what this says about Bashir and his relationships. It's interesting, actually, that uh, that uh, O'Brien says, uh, I hated you when I first met you. And uh, mm-hmm. and and Bashir says, I remember. Because he always played it as, I mean, and, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting character study, actually, because he always played it as if he didn't know or didn't, you know, like he, he, he seemed blissfully unaware of how freaking annoying he was in the first season to everybody. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting thing to think that, no, he wasn't unaware, but what's he going to do? Cry about it? He's yeah. going to keep trying until he finds whatever it is that's going to, you know, and not just ingratiate himself to people, but actually it's almost like he's he's like trying to find the pitch you know yeah i don't mean yeah. the pitch like yo this is really going to get him but i mean like you know somebody joins in a song and they're off key you know he's trying to find the pitch of whatever those conversations are because he does come to i mean yeah their their relationship in this episode was really was really great um mm-hmm. you've got the whole thing down there too about um and i talked about it in the recap as well i hated yeah. you and now and bashir's like now what he's like 
now I don't. Having just said that there are only two options, either he loves you or he hates you. That's it. And he's saying, well, I don't hate you. He's never going to say he loves you, except he just did by saying he doesn't hate you. No, really, I I don't hate you. That's from the heart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a wonderful, wonderful bet. Yes. Um, I don't want to be that guy. I think you should. I don't want to. Yeah, but I mean, I think we got to talk about it. All right. You want to talk about O'Brien's assertion? If you want to know why she ignored you, you've got to confront her. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> She's allowed to ignore you. And, and and I'm sorry for you if that hurts you. But yeah, maybe don't say confront. Maybe you say, eh, if you want Ask. to talk to her about why, maybe you talk to her about it. But here's the thing. If she still doesn't want to talk to you, walk away. That that's That's your responsibility at that point. Just, yeah. you know, back off. And I know as a younger person, that information, that would have been good for me. Like old me, if old me ever gets a time machine, <laughs> I got a lot of stuff to talk to young me about. And that's going to be one of the things like, dude, walk away. Um, yeah. And the idea that they're sitting there going, oh, you should confront her mm, or, <laughs> you know, not. Yeah, I, I, that's totally fair. I, I kind of thought the same thing. She is entitled to ignore whomever she wants to ignore. Yeah. A, and for whatever reasons that she keeps to herself. Mm-hmm. Now, saying confront her, I, I kind of think that that is um, exaggerated drunk talk mm. uh, because a, a good friend who is not doing exaggerated drunk talk would hopefully just say, if you want information from somebody, ask. And they are not obligated to give you an answer at all. And they're not obligated, certainly, to give you the answer that you would like to hear. Yeah. Um, but if this is something that bothers you, I mean, it, it, it's just as reasonable if you were to go up to somebody who you think hates you for some reason and you don't understand and just say, hey, I, I, I don't understand. So can we talk about this because I feel like you don't like me? <laughs> Please let me know if I'm right or wrong and why. That person is still perfectly entitled. They're perfectly in their rights to say, yeah, I don't like you. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah but, that's a good. That's a good. Yeah. And, and I mean, it is a good point that, yes, he should not. And maybe it's the word confront. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, she seemed to be ignoring Julian and she was ignoring Julian, but that's because she had no idea who he was. And sure. so, it, I mean, it's good that that you know, misunderstanding gets uh, smoothed out. Yeah. H- hammocked out. It's good that that, that that misunderstanding gets, you know, sort of, um, yeah, smoothed out, as yeah. I say. At the same yeah, time, yeah. it just, there was something weird about that conversation. Yeah. Um, in keeping with the whole thing. So once he actually starts having the conversation with Lens, and she actually confesses, you know, to being jealous, because, you know, here she's going from planet to planet to planet, whereas he's actually able to stay there and, and do the real work. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Might anybody have been making any sort of statement about DS9 versus other track? Yep. Oh, Seri- <laughs> yeah. seriously? You think so? Yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, that, that's that been speculated. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head if anybody was on record as saying that. But mm-hmm. uh, anybody from production, rather. Uh, but yes, you were not off the mark there by saying that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. so Deep Space Nine is saying, is talking smack. About well, other no, Star no, no, Trek, they, is that correct? Uh, n- not exactly. My impression of it is we're not aggressively talking smack about other Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's more of a defense against the critics, uh, particularly the early critics who, before the show was even on the air, uh, meaning fan critics, saying, 
this is a stupid idea. You can't have Star Trek if you're in one place because they're not going from planet to planet discovering new things. So it was more of a reaction to that than saying the other Star Trek got it wrong. Hmm. I know we are near the end of the episode, but I really think we have glossed over this bathroom issue a little too quickly. Explorers. The episode is called Explorers, John. And it's the time of the episode where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings, trying to figure out whether the whole thing holds up today. I guess we'll probably start with the whole thing holding up. Uh, does uh, this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Man, uh, a young River Phoenix, a young Ethan Hawke, uh, and uh, directed by the deft hand of Joe Dante. Mm-hmm. Actually, nothing but fun. Here, here's a bit of trivia. He, mm-hmm. he used more than his hand to direct this movie. You did. Yeah. You did. Yeah, not, he's good like that. Not just the yeah. deft hand. Yes. Yeah. Joe Dante is a great director. He he's he brings the whole package, not just his hands. Um, of course, I, I'm referencing the 1985 film Explorers, which is a 13-year-old. I loved. Did you ever watch it? We just talked about this last week. No. I know, but I, I don't think it got caught on air. Then. Oh, no, I did not. Yes. Uh, and I, it's been a week and you had time to watch it. Yeah. Well, I've been watching Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. And I've also been watching Buffy and, you know, I've been watching The Grass Grow. I've been taking it easy. Okay, good. None of which that's is that. true. That's really yeah. good, actually. Yeah. No, um, but this episode of DS9 explores, uh, it's, it's lovely. It, it's positive. It's enthusiastic about exploration and technology and history. And there's a family bond that we rarely ever get to see on Star Trek. Um, yes, we have had families before. Yes, we had Wesley Crusher. But a lot of those interactions with his mom were just sort of the perfunctory, like, I'm coming into your office to tell you one thing. Here's here's a thing that I'm going to tell you in response. Now get out. Um there's this there was not nearly the depth we got there uh, as we got here. And the only other thing that I can compare it to is um, the episode, The Final Mission, where it's Wesley and Picard in a shuttle and uh, the shuttle crashes and they sort of get to know each other uh, through that process. But a very different situation where you've got, you know, they're 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 under duress getting to know each other as opposed to something that that is positive and exciting. They want to be there to do this thing. So, yeah, it's just got a different feel to it. And um, the the Ben and Jake relationship is as good as it's been in three seasons of the show. Um, It's really nice to see Ben care for his son. It's nice to see Jake care about his father. He's 16 now instead of, you know, 14 when we met him. Um, and I, I love that he even has this line. I, I don't think of me as your son right now when, he, when he's giving him romantic advice. You know, think of me as another guy. Mm-hmm. It's a turning point in their relationship to get to say this about each other. Um, now, the B plot, uh, I'm, I'm not dissing it by saying I could take it or leave it. I, I could take it or leave it only because you could really plug it in anywhere. It, it, it's sort of 
It's not necessary. It's not necessary to the A plot. Uh, there aren't deep revelations here, but it's fun to see Bashir and O'Brien together. And there is some truth in what's happening between them and at least a little bit of truth in, uh, you know, Bashir being in his head about this woman and his history there. Uh, but it, it, it's almost forgettable against the magnificence of what's happening with this solar sailing ship um and, and again I'll, I'll say you know drunk scenes are hard to do but they they pretty much pull it off and uh, and do it well so um yeah overall i think the show really works it's just that these two plots are so separated from each other uh that that's the only kind of problem with the episode hmm. how about you i i i would argue that i there's no problem with those two plots honestly um, because we're seeing a lot of groundwork laid for deeper uh, relationships going forward, I think. Mm. Um, it's interesting that you say they, you know, didn't really have a plan for Lita at this point because she does, of course, become a more important character. Sure. Uh, certainly, they're they're telegraphing Cassidy Yates coming on. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to see them honestly lay the groundwork for future stories that don't involve war. That's yeah. great, and that's not something yes. we've seen. I mean, since the first season. I mean, the Dominion was sort of a boogeyman, and then the Dominion was kind of introduced, and then, of course, we had all the Kai Wen um, and and the, and the the various machinations with the Vedics. And I know all that stuff isn't done, mm-hmm. but it is wonderful to see them um, give these people a freaking break, right? Yeah. Um, I can't remember uh, what what season it was, but uh, late in the ER ER's run. I mentioned the fact that, oh, Sally Field, I think, is going to be guesting on ER. And whoever I was talking to was just like, put these people out of their misery. (laughs) Because over a decade of ER, and it was always just, you know, awful, right? And and it's wonderful to, like, where everything has been hardship, and I hate being here, and these people are coming to get us. It's wonderful to set these people up for love, romance, communion. Mm like actual mm-hmm. caring relationships that are that are beneficial um yeah sure miles has to be drunk to tell o'brien that he doesn't hate him but he tells him he doesn't hate him and yeah. that means a lot to uh that means a lot to uh, bashir i know i said miles tells o'brien i meant miles tells bashir miles tells julian uh, it's great to see that bromance started between them and the other thing that's wonderful uh at times i find avery brooks delivery you know weird um, yeah, somewhere between uh, wooden and just kind of strange. His laugh can be kind of weird. His gestures can be kind of weird. And the way he hugs Jake is weird, but it's believable. Uh, the physicality that he has with, with Jake is the same every time. And it always, it's not the way I would hug, but it is always the same. He is so, Avery Brooks is so, in the character of loving his son every yeah. time they're on screen together. And it's just, it's just absolutely fantastic to see. It's probably the truest stuff he does. And I know there, I mean, some of the truest stuff that he does. Um, and it's always just, uh, it's always just fantastic to see. And, and that's where I think I would argue that the A plot and the B plot work fine here. Everybody's where they belong. This is not mm. the begrudging, you know, at the beginning of uh, season one, uh, when they say Keiko doesn't want to be here and Odo says, who does? 
right? Yeah. It reminded yeah. me a bit, honestly, of when at uh, the beginning of season three, when they come back and Jake has been trying this pudding every place else that's replicated exactly the same every place else, but it tastes better on Deep Space Nine because he's home. And and that's the conversation that uh, O'Brien has with uh, with Lens at the end, you know? Or, or it's sort of that conversation and also the conversation that he has with Jadzia when he stresses Deep Space Nine is exactly where he wants to be. These are actually good things to see on this show. That nine times out of ten is somebody's about to kill you or somebody's about to die or, you know, how much you hate it or, or how hurt you are. I mean, this is actually this is actually an episode that shows these people in fairly healthy ways. And uh, and boy, you don't get that often. And it was wonderful to see to me. Yeah. Agreed. Did you find a message in all of that? Uh, eh, I mean, no. I mean, I could I could make one out of, you know, be happy where you are or don't worry about mm-hmm. what you might lose. I mean, I don't I've never liked the be happy where you are thing. I mean, um, uh, the Wizard of Oz is kind of undone in the end when Dorothy says, oh, you know, you, if, if you can't find happiness at home, you can't find happiness anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> right. And, and sort of feels like, I mean, you can sort of... If Julian had not stressed the fact that he is exactly where he wants to be, he is exactly where he wants to be. What makes him sad is that somebody else could have gotten it and he wants it to be his. But he's sort of um, he's also sort of uh, buoyed, I think, by the fact that that somebody who he thinks is doing better than him is actually jealous of the thing he has. No, I don't know that there's like a like a straightforward message. There's no don't eat paint. There's no, you know, you see Timmy moment. But uh, lots of sort of like uh, great moments that even if you don't get that, um, it's, I mean, it can be undone by the science. I think honestly that Gul Dukat would be more of a Dr. Zayas than the happy guy he is to welcome them there, even if he's doing it through gritted teeth. Sure. Um, it could be undone by that if that's the stuff you want to concentrate on. What I'd rather concentrate on is, you know, there's love coming for Cisco. There's whatever's going to happen with Lita. And I know what's going to happen with Lita, but we have no idea at this point, but you know, there's that thing that's coming. And there's this wonderful bond between, uh, between uh, Ben and Jake. That, mm-hmm. that to me is, is, uh, is what's great about this episode. Yeah. Yeah. A- any messages here for the characters and, and they're, they're pretty nice and pretty straightforward. And, you know, for Bashir, uh, the grass is not necessarily greener. Uh, and also just, you know, get out of your head and treat people like people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? That one, yeah. too. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the the Cisco's figure it out. You know, they it's so nice to see them doing something that is not just the business of the mission. Um, so the show, these characters, but Star Trek as a whole, just sort of taking some time to do something fun and meaningful and especially with the kid. Um it is really charming and lovely to see in this. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Have you checked out all of the podcasts on the Roddenberry Podcast Network? Shows like Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, Daily Star Trek News, and Shabam? Shabam! Podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that'd be neat. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. 
And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, family business. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. They should name the solar ship, the Livingston, in honor of Captain Picard's fish. You will never be able to unsee that. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.